0: There, Ruby fans, it's been a long wait for volume seven, but we are finally here. That's right, we are here to talk about volume seven, episode one, the greatest kingdom. On our first, I think this is like the first official full episode of Ruby Redux. How's everybody doing today? We're good. Yeah. We're here. <laughs> we are. We are.
1: We thought you were going to come to us one by one.
0: <laughs> and that's exactly what I'm going to do now. I'm Megan Salinas, and with me, as always, is Katie Cullen. Hi, all my buddies. And uh, joining us as well, Stacey Shuttleworth. Hello, hello. And of course, the team would not be complete without the wonderful Mark B. Donica.
1: I'd be fine. It'd be <laughs> fine hi everybody it's it's weird to be it's weird to be to be back here talking about ruby it's been uh, i mean i guess it's been a year since the last season but a, a lot has happened since the last season of ruby ended
0: yeah uh there have been a lot of there have been a lot of changes in our lives a lot of changes at rooster teeth um but honestly it feels really nice to be coming back to ruby and in a lot of ways it kind of feels like going home uh Katie, how do you feel about the, the season being back up?
2: I keep forgetting how much I like this show until it comes back. And then I'm like, oh, my God, I love this show. Where has it been for the past year?
0: Yeah. Uh, Stacey, how how are you feeling now that we're back recording about Ruby?
3: I mean, I'm just so glad it's back. And I've come to really, really love just watching how much this show grows every year, watching it transform over the years into something so sleek and polished and just beautiful to look at is absolutely amazing
0: yeah i i think after my rewatch this morning i i literally turned to katie and i was like how does this show keep getting better <laughs> because after every season i'm always like this is the best how does this show keep getting so good lots of effort yes and uh lots of effort. i i think um it goes without saying you know huge Huge shout out and thank you to all of Kruby for all of their hard work putting this show together Um, like they, they we've always known how hard this team works, but I think there's been a lot of discussion in the past year just about how hard they work like animators putting in for overtime. Like these guys work tremendously hard to make this show as good as it is, and they deserve All of the props for it um, because it's absolutely incredible. So huge shout out to Kruby. You guys are all amazing and we love you. Uh, So guys, who wants to get started? I think I'm ready to get started. (laughs) I mean, we're here. So assume that yes, we all do.
1: (laughs) Wait, did we start the show? (laughs) Hold on.
0: Wait, no one told me. I thought what? we were just shooting the shit. What? What? <laughs> this what? is just our weekly conference call where we all drink coffee and chit-chat. And, and,
1: and we've just not recorded it for the past three months.
0: Exactly. Yes, that's exactly how this works. <laughs> um, so We're telling them how the sausage is made. So, guys, <laughs> let's start at the beginning because I hear it's a very good place to start. Mm. Um, We pick up exactly where last season left off with our crew flying a stolen ship into Atlas and uh, definitely being like, oh, no, this is terrible. Um, and uh, they ultimately determined that they need to uh, ditch the ship and, you know, make their way into the city to find somebody who can help them get a hold of Ironwood and or Winter. Oh, go ahead. I
2: think we need to back up a little bit and talk about what brought them to this conclusion, because we've... Weiss points out that she has never seen Atlas's militia so at the ready. This is a show of military power. This is a deterrent, and it's not usual.
0: Yeah, as as the episode progresses, we see that Atlas isn't necessarily the way Weiss remembers it, or necessarily the way any of our boys and girls kind of pictured it being. And uh, that's kind of what I wanted to get your guys' gauge on, was we get, to, we get to go down into the ground on Mantle, you know, beneath the floating city. And uh, let's go ahead and start with Mark. What did you think of uh, Mantle as, as our boys and girls were wandering around the city?
1: I'll be completely honest. I didn't think we were going to be getting so much of Mantle right off the bat. Like the way that The last season, what's we're on seven. The way that Ruby Six ended made it seem like they were either going to get like a military escort or I don't I don't know. I guess my expectations weren't quite up there. But as the trailers were released, it 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 feels like it it feels like a lot of older cities, and the only thing that I can compare it to is the United States, uh, where progression societal progression happens. As far away from the boonies as possible, and uh, it it's a literal thing where the tundra seems to be right out their front door. We I don't know if we even saw gates, but but especially with the the grim incursion that we that we saw of the saber tiger, the uh, grim wh- whatever they were called, I I I don't know. It it felt familiar. There there was a lot of familiarity with it, and I think that's. You know, with any good art form, you want the people to get sucked in because they feel something familiar. And with the two drunks out front, <laughs> it's it was a, it was pretty close to home with our current uh, our current uh, uh, societal climate. And uh, and I'll leave, I'll just leave that there. Um, but it it was all very familiar. <clears throat> It, it it actually reminded me a little bit like it could also be used for an old town district in Genlock. Like I almost oh. thought like uh, hover cars would would be right there, and all of a sudden you'd start seeing uh, uh, the the union come in and just like I don't know. It was it was very it was good familiar.
0: The the city did. It's funny that you brought up Genlock because the city uh, upon a rewatch, I did feel like it felt very similar to the city, you know, in the final scene of Genlock, um, mm. where we're we're right there in in Union territory. Uh I, I felt like it was very familiar. Stacy, what did you think of Mantle?
3: I thought it was very grounded in reality, for good or bad. Uh, but I I guess I kind of expected Mantle to be under heavy, heavy military presence, kind of very guarded by Atlas above. So hearing that that is not the normal case makes me wonder about all of the changes that it's gone through. Uh, I think we have a very rich kind of culture of the more like normal society here that we are going to see kind of juxtaposed against Atlas pretty starkly. Katie?
2: Katie? Honestly, I was getting major Final Fantasy VII vibes. Like I was thinking of Midgar and the floating platform above, and uh, how all that fun stuff turned out. So I'm gonna go Legit. ahead and place that as my prediction here. Pretty sure that floating city is coming down. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's what I thought. Is oh, we have this nice floating city above the clouds where all the rich and important people live, and down here, welcome to slum hell. So why saying you know I don't remember it being like this? I'm like, well. Have you ever actually been down on the surface streets? Because I'm gonna guess probably not.
3: Yes, I had that thought too. I'm wondering how much of an authority she was on that subject. Yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> mean, probably I'll trust much. her on. Uh, I'll trust her on the the
2: military presence here is different, but I'm not gonna trust her on the. Hey, is this normal of security down here? Like, is this level normal? Like, yeah, I don't know.
1: It was giving me a lot of vibes of Princess Jasmine and Agrabah. Yeah. And 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 even more so is maybe that last drunk before passing out. I don't know if he, if he uh thought that it he recognized that she was a Schnee or specifically Winter or 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 whatever, but she's she hasn't been recognized yet. And and we're waiting for that, that scene where she her her hand gets threatened to be cut off.
2: <laughs> I think we hit it honestly.
1: Just about. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> um
2: I
1: don't know what's so funny about Dead Megan. That's a terrible thing to assume.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh God. Oh. oh fam. Oh fam.
0: Well, uh, I'm I'm just laughing because I I'm picturing um somebody trying to accost uh Team Ruby and it not ending well for them. That's more what I'm laughing about.
2: And uh. let's be real. We've already had a member of the team get their hand cut off. So we've covered that ground. Boo. <laughs> 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 <Oof>. <laughs> I didn't just go there. I live there.
0: Um, But uh, something about uh, your... In terms of mantle, you, you guys... I think hit the nail on the head in terms of like, there's clearly this disparity between the haves and the have-nots. And um, for for people looking at the aesthetic of the city, you're seeing like there's clearly change is mounting on the horizon. You know, all of these tensions are clearly coming to a head. And you can see that in the form of the posters in the background promoting uh, an upcoming election And uh, something that really kind of caught my eye and then subsequently warmed my heart was uh, the face on these posters. And if you if you pause it on one of them, one of the holographic images where, you know, all these news stories are being posted, you get the name of this upcoming political person, you know, advocating change. And her name is Robin Hill. I kind of died when i i read that name and it made me very very happy and from everything in the background it seems like robin hill is go is the one that is opposing the current schnee kind of corporate control over everything um so guys what do you think of robin hill in terms of what uh what kind of a force for good she might be for the Faunus and for the, the people of Mantle because she's referred to as a hometown hero in one poster. And as we've often heard about how Atlas uses the Faunus for physical labor in their minds. But this is the first time we actually see a group of miners like heading home after a hard day's labor. So what do you guys think in terms of change on the horizon for Atlas? Let's go ahead and start with Stacy.
3: I am here for the Schnee's getting theirs. <laughs> Namely, the, you know, male Schnee's that are up in their pretty little Atlas uh, mansion. But I am also very, very excited about, I mean, Miss hill. <laughs> uh, especially with the implications of the lore behind it. Let's steal from the rich and give to the poor.
0: I love it. I love it so much. Katie? I'm kind of wondering what political
2: position she's running for because there's an election coming up. Okay. Is she running for a position on the council that people have mentioned? Because there's, oh, the council just agrees with Ironwood because they're scared. Is she trying to get on that? Is it possible she's angling for Ironwood's position? Is that even possible? Like, I don't know how the political system in Atlas works, aside from the fact that Ironwood seems to have become a fascist military dictator, which is not a good look for anybody. But I don't know. I'm I am intrigued by this, and I'm also intrigued by the fact that we saw her in the opening with Crow fighting Tyrion. So I'm excited and intrigued and also a little worried for her projected lifespan. <laughs>
0: I was gonna say the last time there was a freedom fighter um female leader of a resistant organization, she got super murdered, and it made me very sad. <laughs> admittedly, Adam's
2: not in the story anymore.
0: Thank God <laughs> she may live a little longer. fingers crossed mark, what do you think
1: i I'd, I'd never i hadn't seen her name i've I've watched the episode a couple times at this point, and I never saw her name and that and it it took me a bloody second um but i i think of of anything well first of all to your point katie uh any any time mentioning james ironwood and not a good look that's not it's very hard to agree with that because that man
0: (laughs) i concur mark i think he always looks good okay he's a beautiful man
2: but fascism is a bad look for everyone
1: we'll we'll see so
2: uh (laughs) all right we're making atlas great again
1: specifically specifically when it comes to 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 mr ironwood anyway um (laughs) i i i I think the thing the position that makes the most sense would be a spot on the council we haven't has the council been mentioned before this like was it mentioned back when weiss was stuck in uh in atlas i don't know Or, or was today the first episode that? Because because it, it's very convenient that they're like, hey, what does the council think? What council? Well, we're gonna tell you. You know, we we. It's not to say that oh, they should have told us about all of the geopolitical dealings with every single nation on on Anima, but uh, I, I I think that would make the most sense, and I I wonder how many groups of freedom fighters we're going to get because of the group that we were introduced uh, to at the end. And now with the implication, at least in our mind that this is, uh, uh so- supposed to be a-, a Robin hood allegory. Are we going to get the merry men or some, some iteration of that? And, uh, it- it'll be interesting to see how, how this geopolitical, uh, S storm, uh, Decides to handle itself, which I guess is the the best way I could put it.
0: Yeah, I I'm super excited about um, any time you have a Robin Hood type, uh, and I I get even more excited when I get stories where Robin Hood is gender bent. Um, those make me really happy. Um, but when you have a Robin Hood, it also makes me wonder if we're going to get a Sheriff of Nottingham, you know that sort of thing. And with the uh, with the Ace Ops, I don't think. They're going to be uh, our sheriff group, you know, uh, in terms of a one-to-one parallel. Uh, And we'll talk more about them in in a little bit.
1: Um, Way too much to talk about with them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So so much to talk about with them. But I don't think they're going to be our sheriff of Nottingham. Um, But yeah, so there's going to be a lot of fun stuff, I think, to unpack with Robin as the season progresses. Uh, But, you know, that's all just background stuff. Right now, uh, our, our boys and girls head on over uh, to uh, the doctors to go help out Maria because she's she says not only does she need to because she has this appointment that she goes to every 10 years, but she also insists that he's somebody who can help get them in touch with Ironwood and Winter. And so, guys, we officially meet Dr. Pietro. And uh, one, I really like that name because one, it's Quicksilver. (laughs) Um, So I'm always a fan. But also, uh, he just seems to be a very wholesome, sweet person. And that makes a lot of sense with what we find out later in the episode. Uh, What was your initial reaction to seeing Dr. Pietro Katie? I love this man.
2: He just, he's, he's hes very obviously the Geppetto figure that we've been looking for. And I appreciate the detail at one point where they cut away to his bookshelf and there is a figure of a sperm whale on there like, oh, hey, it's Monstro. All right, we get it. We got gotcha. you. That's the joke. In case you but
3: didn't know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who didn't figure out that that outfit is a little bit Pinocchio in it's looks and this and that and the other. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a... Uh... But I also appreciated, yeah, he's the foremost expert in robotics, but he spends a lot of his time down here because uh, the upper crust is boring as hell. So I just, I liked him a lot. He's He seems like a good person, and I want to go to his house for tea and stories.
0: You know? <laughs> Stacy, what did you think of the good doctor?
3: He's just so wholesome. <laughs> he really is, though. And, you know, to add to Katie's point, that well. Whole- he probably, you know, joined up with Atlas, joined up with Ironwood to effect real, honest change, and to be a force of good, and now is kind of looking at this world and looking down at Mantle like, no, there are people here that need my help too, so the fact that he goes down there and spends his time dedicated to them and to helping where he can is just so lovely.
0: Mark, what do you think?
1: Uh, I'm a big fan of his. I like the, the, there is some subtlety. I like the fact that he has his own personal like computer, laptop, whatever you want to call it, but all of his files are not digital, presumably to sort of keep them off the record, but keep all of the stuff that he needs. I-, I like that subtle nod of sort of it being, um, one, it could be an indicator that this is sort of a, a podunk location, but also keeping a paper trail as opposed to a digital paper trail is a lot smarter in this day and age when it comes to every, all of the political goings on, or also maybe because of the, the fall of the tower, it was a lot easier just to deal with paper, blah, blah, blah. Um, so every, everybody's getting Geppetto vibes, but Katie, who, who said that he look he, he's giving off Pinocchio vibes because of how he's dressed. Yeah. Katie. So, so that gives me the indicator that he's not Geppetto, but, but, uh, Pinocchio allegory and uh, Penny is his creation, and Geppetto was his father, blah, 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 blah. That just could be a whole lot of conjecture, whatever. But that, that's just what I thought. Looking at his outfit, it suggested more... And also the fact that he can't walk, because to, he, you could uh, have the the argument that he has no strings to hold him up, so he has to have the assistance of a wheelchair, blah, blah, blah. Generally, this is a very nice man. And, and I think by the time... I think it was a wonderful slow reveal to get everybody to figure out what exactly was going on.
0: Yeah, um, it's funny. uh, Maybe it's just because his name is Pietro and that has put X-Men on my mind. But (sighs) to me, he in in addition to giving off, you know, this uh, very fairy tale, you know, Pinocchio Geppetto vibe. He's also kind of giving me a Professor X vibe. Um, it's the chair. <laughs> I mean, it's a really cool mech chair. Um, so yeah, he's he's obviously once we get the the reveal of the chair, I think that's when you know for sure this guy's a master of robotics, and like not that you couldn't tell that already from the fact that he's the one that designed Maria's eyes, and so but yeah, it's it's just one of those things where the whole. The whole vibe he gives off is, yeah, this is clearly a guy who wants to do good for other people, which is kind of comforting because when Penny was just kind of off on her own, We really didn't know what type of person created her. And so getting to meet him, it's kind of a relief in my mind um, because we had we were speculating quite a bit that maybe if Penny returned to the series, she was going to be like Terminator Penny or something. So I'm I'm glad that the man who raised her and created her is just as sweet and wholesome as she is.
2: I mean, admittedly, Terminator Penny is not off the table because Watts isn't off the table either.
0: No, and that's something that um, that Pietro brings up is that part of what the reason why Ironwood has gotten so tight-fisted with this city, you know, with his whole Blade Runner <laughs> projections all over the city shtick, is that the people who were responsible for the fall of Beacon. Ultimately dismantled Atlas's security system (laughs) Uh, and, you know, made them look like a joke. And so that's one of the reasons why Ironwood is carrying such a heavy burden on his shoulders is he probably feels immensely responsible for what happened. Um, And. I I I know, Katie. You said this whole thing isn't a good look for him, but from the brief look at Ironwood that we had in, I believe it was Volume Four, like he clearly is carrying a lot of guilt, and ultimately is, even if it's misguided, is trying to do the right thing. Uh, anyway, we'll we'll get to Ironwood later in the season, I'm sure. Um, but real quick, uh, because the this. Uh, meeting ultimately gets interrupted with a grim attack. But before we get into that, um, I just want to remind everybody, if you guys haven't already done so, um, if you, we really appreciate the opportunity that we get to talk about Ruby and about all sorts of other Rooster Teeth shows. It's such a joy whenever we get the chance to do so. And so if you haven't already done so, we'd like you to go and leave a rating and review. It really means the world to us hearing what you guys have to think as well. Um, and so, yeah, we we just want to thank everybody who ha- who's already done so. And if you haven't, go do that because we want to hear your thoughts as well. Now, to get back to the show, uh, our boys and girls get interrupted with a grim attack and guys i think we we talked a lot of, uh, at the top of the show about how great it feels to have ruby back in my mind ruby's not really back until we get that first fight scene and oh man it it is so nice to, <laughs> it's so nice to be back in it um there were so many fun dynamic camera angles and the the way the characters play off of each other is always so much fun Mark, what was your favorite part of this fight sequence?
1: What do you think? It was Bloody Nora, goddamn. <laughs> 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 um, I, I liked... It was sort of a... All right, we're right back into it. The music... Uh, oh, an- another wonder! I don't know how they keep pumping out stuff with the same vibe that just has these minute differences, but you get that same pumped-up feeling... Um, from from their their wonderful. Uh, why am I blanking on? Uh, I see them in my mind.
2: Casey uh, and uh,
1: and her dad's name, Jeff. Jeff, yes, the the Williamses. Oh, brain. Yes. thank you. It's <laughs> it's been a time. It's been a time. But um, that that definitive, uh, maybe not definitive, but that classic Williamses track. Uh, high high action. Uh, we get. Blake with Gamble Shroud, uh, sort of that reminder that she's not back up to 100%. She's still dealing with, uh, and and not necessarily it how it's affecting her, but she still has reminders of what she's been through to get to that point. I'll put it that way. And uh, she still is a, a very competent person in battle. Uh Nora not having a good place to jump off was just so delightful. <laughs> and and if you're a member of our uh Discord, I've made that my uh my icon for the time being of just her finally blasting off from John's uh uh Jean's shield. There there was so so much classic Ruby, but also uh I think this is just a checkpoint to be like especially with everything that we saw in the intro a lot of stuff is about to change so maybe time will tell this might be the the last quote classic ruby style fight that we see i don't know that the bold prediction from me but i think that there is going to be a little bit more of a change coming
2: katie what do you think those combat classes worked out real well for oscar <laughs> i'm i'm really happy to see these fights back this Just the fight choreography for Ruby has always been fantastic. Regardless of who's choreographing it, the show has always had a really good style for this. And so, again, getting back into this, and yeah, it's not really a Ruby episode until you get your first big fight, and then it's goddamn amazing. I also really enjoyed the design of these Grimm, of the Sabretooth Tigers. I think they're also tooling a little more with the normal Grimm design. I feel like these had a lot more... I don't know if smoke is the right word, but they felt more like creatures of darkness than just animals with their skeletons on the wrong side. (laughs) And I really appreciated that. I think they've really stepped it up with their design and with their animation. So yeah, I think this went really well. I loved seeing everyone fight again. I love seeing them play off each other. And yeah, don't ever let Oscar fight again. Keep him safe. (laughs) He's a good boy. Don't let him get hurt. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> don't let the baby fight
3: <laughs> um, Stacy, what did you think I was really struck by the grim design also these with the smoke rising off them as they ran they felt more primal more like they had just crawled out of that pit of creation or yes. inc- of creation and were just being let loose on the world with very little thought to like less thought to design and more just get out there and cause chaos so I thought that was an interesting kind of Twist to the normal grim that we've seen. They definitely have uh, evolved a little bit. As far as the fight itself, first off, yes, really fights are back. They're always wonderful to watch. Um, but kicking off with with Nora and John's little moment of <laughs> like, I'm gonna jump off you. I'm gonna do it. I love the way when we see them fight, how well they all know each other. They know each other's fighting styles. So. Nora just has to look at Jean, and he knows what's going to happen. You may not be <laughs> thrilled about it, but he knows what's going to happen. And we see that throughout the scene, just the little ways that they watch each other's back. They're constantly keeping an eye out for each other as well as, you know, protecting themselves. They just work together so fluidly. To So to see that back in full action on board. Yeah,
0: I, I have to agree with that. Um, It was, I I love that moment in the first Avengers movie when uh, Cap launches Natasha and she's like, yeah, yeah, it's going to be fun. (laughs) Um, To to me, that Nora, that Nora Jean moment was the, those personalities kind of like swapped uh, with Nora going, yeah, this is going to be fun. (laughs) See, And I thought of Wonder Woman, just the shield bit. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. Um. But yeah, I think my favorite part of this fight um, was definitely the moment between Blake and Yang, just because there was so much of an emphasis last season on not one person taking it upon themselves to protect the other one, but them working the importance of them working as a team to protect each other. Um, That's what I so like that moment of just the smile and the head nod was really nice um, for me. Uh, the the thing that sort of struck me about this though is, I I don't think we get I mean out on the outskirts and like when when Team Ruby was on the road and having to come across Grim that had already demolished cities, like that's one thing. But this is like a still very populated area that's very much under military lockdown. How did these grim just wander into the middle of the city? Um it's kind of my my big question. Oh, go ahead, Mark.
1: That that's I I had uh, brought up earlier, are there gates? Like we don't see gates uh flying in, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't. But Stacy's point about these being more primal can what if one thing They've just come in from the tundra, it, it, they have frost on them, so it feels like they have busted through whatever sort of security, no matter how high or how low. Or, Katie, your point about Watts, what if they were let in so that Ruby could get uh, snuffed, or Team Ruby and, and everybody would get Oh well, you, they can't help but save the day. So at least they'll get uh, discovered and taken. I'm away.
2: wondering if they didn't come in through the mining tunnels.
1: But how are there no? How are there no? What kind of security do the mining tunnels have to prevent that sort of an incident from happening? That was a huge pack of grim. So either. The which and the most likely scenario being that Atlas doesn't give a crap about mantle and so their security is very limited, which is why they have mostly Atlesian knights uh, doing patrols instead of actual human soldiers. Um, or was it a setup or a variety of other things? Yeah, but I think I'm going to go with that
2: one. first option too because, yeah, it's a big bunch of grim, and we saw them overwhelm the security. So I wouldn't be surprised if, again, if they all just came through the mine tunnels or overwhelmed whatever border security there was. Because, again, I seriously doubt there's very many grim problems up in the floating city. So that's that's for the commoners to deal
0: with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just the flying grim you have to worry about for the floating city. Yeah. Um, for for me, what this indicated, um, whether Watts was responsible or whether it was a lapse in security, what this kind of emphasized to me, you know, the grim are brought in by negative emotion. That's what they're attracted to. And right now, it's very, very clear that Mantle is a place of political unrest. Um, again, it's kind of close to home in terms of our real world situation. But I'm wondering if maybe it's just a matter of there being so much negativity and negative feelings that like basically the entire city is just a big old beacon for the Grimm. And so just numerically, they were able to get through security um, just because like the, the the number of Grimm trying to get into the city has increased as political unrest has increased. So I don't know. There are a number of uh, possibilities.
2: It's okay, we'll just bring in a pack of apathy.
0: It'll be fine. It's fine. It's fine. I'm <laughs> just <so> tired. i <laughs> <laughs> um, But it's also possible that none of those things are true and that we just needed a set of grim for a cool Ruby <laughs> action scene to, to kick off the season. I mean, six
2: of one, half a dozen of the other.
0: But the fight gets interrupted by none other than Iron Man. Wait, no, not Iron Man. It's... It's been so long since we've seen her, but who comes flying in to save the day but Penny? And guys, we get treated to not only cool, awesome, like Shadow the Hedgehog style rocket shoes um, that allow her to fly through the air, but like she also seems to have gotten a few upgrades. And I think this is such a touching reunion because everybody thought that she was gone and the fact that she they were able to repair her um, as opposed to just building a new version of her. I think I think it means a lot that, you know, we didn't lose as many friends as we thought we did back in Volume 3. Um, but yeah, what did you guys think of this reunion? Let's start with Stacey.
3: I kind of had hoped for like a little bit more of an emotional, going into it at least, like a more emotional kind of reunion. But then the way it played out on screen with Penny just launching herself at Ruby sitting there watching I was like yeah you know what that is that is actually perfect it was so cute and so sweet and just the the relief I think that the, you could see on their faces of oh we have someone back maybe don't get used to it but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ouch Stacy I love it they've taken a lot of hope away
0: from me okay I've got <laughs> it's okay stacy's just tired, <laughs> <laughs> <So> tired. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mark what did you think of this reunion
1: <laughs> it's to be honest i up until her uh visage flew onto screen i wasn't quite exactly sure i was i was more of like no no because like when we were in pietro's office he mentioned my daughters said so much about you that ne- doesn't necessarily have to be a present statement you know in hindsight yeah it is a present statement but because we've had penny talk about her dad and and talk about checking in with her dad so who's who's to say that it wasn't a uh, a long phone call telling pietro about all of her new friends um but the green be- as the green beam started flying i was just like okay all right something either really good <laughs> or really bad is about to happen and i'm really hoping that it's the first one and and it's it's remarkable it's really great to have penny back and she's at least <laughs> and-, and you can take this comment however you will however <laughs> long we have her it's going to be great to have that positivity back as a part of the team because that unwavering attitude That she has always had and always represented is going to be such a powerful weapon for the whole team and maybe even the whole continent.
0: Yeah. Now she's the protector of Atlas. (laughs) Uh, Katie, what did you think of this return?
2: I got
1: spoiled for this,
2: sadly, because uh, some people get very enthusiastic on social media and that happens. Stop it. Why did you go
1: on social media?
2: Because it was 10 in the morning. Like, I didn't think people were going to be that insane.
1: Katie, (laughs) it's been how many seasons? The blame is not with
2: me. The blame is with people who can't keep it in their pants. It's not like I went looking.
1: Oh, you never have to.
2: Anyway, point being, guys, when they ask for no spoilers, please don't post spoilers. That's great to be excited, but don't do the thing. Um, that said, it's great to have Penny back. Like, yes, hello, welcome. And the Calvin and Hobbes tackle was about the perfect way to do it, honestly. Um, I also noticed that everyone else is getting a haircut, and now she has long hair.
3: Penny goes against the grain. (laughs) She do.
0: Um... I also got spoiled for it on a completely different social media platform. Um, yep. <laughs> so I think my solution to that, uh, as the weeks go on is just to delete Twitter from my phone. <laughs> so if I am unresponsive on Twitter over the, the course of the next few months, it's because I don't want to get Ruby spoilers. Um, That being said, I loved this reintroduction. Um, A couple years ago, I saw a fan animation of somebody doing, um, making Iron Man transform via like a magical girl transformation. (laughs) And it was so, so fun. I, I wish I knew the artist who did it off the top of my head. But seeing Penny twirl around in the sky, I was like, Oh, this is both very Iron Man and very anime, and I'm totally here for it. And it's so nice to see her again. Mark, you're absolutely right. Her positivity and her unwavering enthusiasm has been something I have i didn't realize I missed how much of a, a warm presence that was until she was back on screen and yelled out salutations. It It made me very happy. <laughs> Um but she is she's basically kind of like a one-woman patrol um for Atlas. so it it is funny that we have all these Blade Runner-esque like hard military like military dystopia, like a presence in mantle. And then the person who's acting as its protector is basically like Iron Man if Iron Man was Captain America. <laughs> If that makes any sense, um, she's
1: she's the opposite of Batman because she is not doom, gloom, and darkness. She is bright, peppy, hope, and and all of the things that that city needs.
0: <laughs> and now I want to hear her yell, "I am vengeance! I am the night!" <laughs> I think we just did. Whee! <laughs> um. It is a shame that she that their reunion is show, so short-lived because, again, that warmth and that uh, positivity. It's like, no, Penny, come back. Um, but, you know, she flies off because there are more citizens in need of assistance. Um, and so she flies off. And our, our team goes at, uh, and they end up getting apprehended by uh, a group of what appear to be huntsmen who are known as the Ace Ops. Boo. Now, I'm not oh, normally in favor of puns. And Mark, I think you're right to boo.
1: But I boo it and I love it.
0: <laughs> disagree. This was amazing. Fantastic. <laughs> I, I kind of get behind this one. <laughs> I'll be honest. Uh, out of all the puns they could have gone with, I can kind of get behind this one. But so the Ace Ops apprehend our team and they take the relic which uh red flags all around on that one but i think what i was really surprised by is how kind of upstanding this group of individuals seems to be like in the trailer when we saw team ruby getting apprehended and um the relic being taken it seemed very very menacing and and very dire But when we actually get to see the scene in its um, entirety, these guys look like they're on the right side or at least fighting for what what they believe to be uh, the greater good. They look like they're elite law enforcement,
2: but like actual lawful good as opposed to corrupt.
0: Yeah, like there wasn't. Oh, go ahead, Mark. That was Stacy. Oh, sorry, Stacey. You go right oh, ahead. I just said we can only hope. Um. So, yeah, what did you guys... What was your initial impression of the Ace Ops? Apart from boo. <laughs> Mark, let's start with you.
1: I agree. I think that this is a group of some lawful good folks or people who are probably fighting... Especially after watch, getting a little bit of a confirmation in the intro that everybody's sort of going to be fighting together. They may be fighting a fight that they don't know they're fighting also seeing human a human task force in Mantle is definitely a change and the implication that they're the best of the best. Who knows how many more there are? Whatevs. It, I think it, it, a lot more questions. It immediately had me pull out my uh, Aesop's Fables book to try to start figuring out who everybody is. Um, and, and I love... I think... I. I, I I think I tweeted this. I think I put it in the Discord, which you can join. or the the Rooster team. We'll put a link out. It'll be in the description. But I, I tweeted that this episode checked all of the boxes. We got action. We got uh, like some romantic stuff. We got some lore. We got some this. We got some that. And we got some new, uh, new characters to figure out what sort of literary influence they have. And I'm expecting some very interesting things from this group.
0: Katie, what do you think?
2: I enjoy them. Like, I like the character designs that we got from them, from what we saw in the opening. And the fact that we have another woman with a large hammer, just like, sign me up. We need more of these in Ruby. Let's have a full-on hammer squad. Let's go. Um, I'll be interested to see where we go. Just, yeah, in terms of literary references, because Aesop's fables are... There's so many of them and they're so well-known and they're kind of trope namers and idiom namers like sour grapes came from an Aesop's fable. There's there's so many places that they could go with this. And I appreciated the two back-to-back line reads for what are the Aesops doing here? Ace? Ops? So pointing out to the audience that, yeah, it goes both ways. We know exactly what we did. like, And Aesops are morality tales and here they're a law enforcement group so i just i don't know we got a whole like minute of them and i already think they're well executed and i want to see more
0: stacy
3: absolutely i think i think they're going to be really interesting characters and there were well i guess two things that are kind of really i have lots of questions but uh there's a little niggly worry at the back of my mind that's like Okay, but are they on Watts payroll or Ironwoods? I have a theory. Ooh, Mark has a theory. It could be money. I have a theory already. Go ahead, Mark. All
1: right. Let me just put let me just put my board back up. Let me get my yarn and my push pins. <laughs> Wait, so, you took it down? What I'm I'm at work right now, so I had to take my mobile unit. Oh, um, okay, all right. But uh so uh <laughs> one one of the most well known aesop's fables is the wolf in sheep's clothing one Mm. of our five is gonna be a traitor
3: yes Mm.
2: (laughs) well and i mean one of them has a gray tail so
0: i like this theory mark (laughs) um i i really like I really like that theory. Um, yeah, I, I'm i on board with basically what you guys are saying. I think this group of individuals seems to be on the side of lawful good, um, which is in line with, I think, Ironwood, for all of his problems, is also a lawful good individual. So I, I see that kind of lining up. And... As Katie pointed out, yeah, Aesop's fables are morality plays. And so, in my mind, it wouldn't really make sense to have a, a group named after Aesop be, like, have it turn out that they're all villains. The wolf in sheep's clothing, I think, is brilliant. and We're going to go ahead and keep a pin in that and keep an eye on that guy for the rest of the season yeah. now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I love their designs. I, I love... I love the idea behind them, and um, yeah, I'm really excited to see more from them. I'm looking at a screen cap of them from the intro right now, and I love <laughs> all of them.
3: The design is absolutely great, and uh, the emphasis on Lucky Charms, I'm really ready for all of them to interact with Crow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Ooh, yeah, you you bring up an you bring up an excellent point because they their seemingly leader. He's um his name is Clover Ebby. I think I'm pronouncing that right. And he is voiced by Chris WeCamp, which for all of you my hero academia fans out there, he's the voice of Aizawa. Um so that's exciting that he's joined the cast. Um So yeah, and then after after their introduction and Team Ruby gets hauled away to jail, which, you know, surprising no one, (laughs) we get our new intro. And guys, like, I feel like I say this every volume of Ruby, but this new intro goes full anime and I'm kind of all about it. Uh, Katie, what were your thoughts on the new intro? I'm just kind of amazed
2: that it took me two watches to realize that there was a scene with Ironwood fighting Oscar. <laughs> like, for some reason, that's the one that went under the radar to me after that whole big thing about, no, don't make the boy fight. <laughs> like, okay, okay.
0: Um, is like trying to punch a child in the face.
2: Yes. Ironwood is trying to punch a child. There's a problem here. Uh, Crow already did that, so that base is covered. Um, <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed the new intro. For me, the music fell by the wayside a bit when I started focusing on the visuals, and I think it's going to be a few more watches before I can appreciate the song for what it is, because I keep staring at the visuals and going, tell me everything about this season. Like, yeah, we've made it pretty dang clear that Watts is the hacker in question. We had a full-on hacker voice I'm in scene for him in the intro. We already touched on Crow and Robin fighting Tyrion. We got the makeovers in the middle of it, which is fun. Um, yeah. I appreciate this new intro. I like it, and I'm very worried about this season because of it.
0: It'll be fun. It'll be fun. Mark what <laughs> I'm just tired. Mark, what were your thoughts on the new intro?
1: I'm a big fan. Like I've I've been pretty well, not necessarily critical, but I think some intros need to once you get to a certain point in the season where you're less focused on the stuff that hasn't happened yet or may happen or whatever, because we're we're on record sort of breaking down. well, this thing from the intro hasn't happened yet, so we're kind of expecting this to happen. So once once i've I've let that go, I, I really tend to enjoy it a lot. and after after a couple of viewings this time, um i it's a lot more of an instant uh yeah we're back like i think ruby 6 is my is my favorite aside from the first two because you can't you just can't beat those two um ruby 6 had a really good opening and then we did our our little edits with it etc cetera, etc cetera. but um <laughs> i'm i'm a big fan of the visual also my favorite part was when they cut the uh, frame rate in half and they were in silhouette and you only saw sort of like the representative color as they were slashing across the screen. And I I, I thought like, OK, cool, maybe that that maybe we explore a little bit more of the um, different art styles and what make we go back to the uh, world of remnant art style for sort of a flash. But I don't know. I'm I'm projecting uh, I'm still in like uh, wild speculation mode. So I, I really enjoyed it. And I like the little stuff that's hidden in between. Uh, I like everybody's analysis of what team Juniper is going to be and what, the, and what that all consists of uh, seeing Oscar in that lineup and, and uh, him with his surname Pine rebuilds, juniper but there is some recent scuttlebutt in our uh, discord of uh if you go with uh oh wait no how did that make sense never mind go to our discord it's really great oh no i figured it out <laughs> i remembered sorry um and <laughs> a- here's n- some n more for- yarn let's go i'm so tired and for or and n- and not in a joking way not in an apathy way um <laughs> n n for nora o for oscar r for ren and a for Ark, and it's Team Nora. <laughs> all of Mark's <laughs> dreams are coming true. <laughs> Call Sam Ireland. We've got a hook. We've got a spinoff. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I that was it. my idea. I wanted to thank Nearly Brainless Nick for that one. That was all him.
0: <laughs> That's beautiful. <sighs> um, Stacy, what do you think about the new intro?
3: I think the transitions were absolutely stunning and it brought it together in an extremely anime way, but also in a very satisfying way. And I've been trying really, really hard to not just keep rewatching it and trying to overanalyze every second of it. I'm trying. It's not going well. (laughs) I love the color block team lineups because it does kind of give us direction as to where we're going. So I am very interested to see how it all falls together and especially with the Aesop's now, they're kind of our wild card, right? Where they're going to fall in, how the dynamic is going to work. So to see them all lined up as, you know, as an extension of the Ruby team, I'm into it.
0: Yeah. Um, I I 100% agree with that. It's hard not to just want to put the opening on loop to, yeah, try to break it down frame by frame by frame to figure out, you know, the, the plot of the rest of the season. But the, uh, I, I agree with Mark about um, the, the visual aesthetics uh, and what, what you were saying, Stacey, about the color blocks. Um, it feels both like they're doing something new and also a throwback. Like it, it feels because that's what they did with the initial trailers was the, those figures in silhouette. So it's so fun to see that reincorporated into the intro. Um, which isn't something that any of the other intros have done before. So it feels both new and familiar. Uh, but I think my favorite thing about this intro is the transition from their volume six attire to their um, to their volume seven new character designs. I, I love because no other intro has done that before. And so seeing the transition for each of them, it's just it, it not only is it visually pleasing, But to me, it ties in with the entire theme behind the show, which is to keep moving forward. And we get that visually represented in this intro. And I'm all about that. (laughs) Um, And I'm really excited to see what the rest of this volume has in store. Um, So uh, the only other thing I want to bring up um, is that uh, we have a couple new writers this season. Once the once the credits started to roll, uh, there are a couple new writers this season. Eddie Rivas and uh, Kieran. Hey. Yeah, Eddie, hey. friend of the show, Eddie Rivas, who's, I'm, I don't know about you guys, I think we're all super excited oh uh, my God, yes. to have him uh, writing for this season. And also, I, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Kieran Burkhart, who is also writing for this season. Um, so guys, I, I'm really excited to have, you know, that Carrie and Miles are, are having assistance in the writer's room. I'm really, and we all, we're all familiar with Eddie's writing style from yeah. camp camp. He's just, he's great. He's and w- no and nomad nomad. <laughs> nomad. <laughs> so
1: and So something I wanted to point out about, about Eddie. I don't know if, I don't know if too many people know this. I'm pretty sh- I'm pretty sure he tweeted it out and if not I'm sorry. Um but oh no, it's in his Twitter bio. That's right. Um he he's essentially the animation historian for Rooster Teeth. He helped do the big Red versus Blue compendium a couple years ago and he yep. also did the big Ruby compendium that just came out recently. So if if people don't haven't seen any of the other stuff that Eddie's worked on know that he is so well-versed in all of the minutiae that us as reviewers and fans are also well-versed in. And um can't speak too much about Kieran because I'm unfamiliar, but when it when it comes to Eddie, everybody is in superb hands.
2: Oh, yeah. Eddie 100% knows his stuff. And he's such a good human. Mm-hmm. He's fun to talk to. Well,
0: I've, yeah, I yeah. We were all on board. I think we were all excited when we heard the announcement that he was going to be writing for this volume. And yeah, he's been on Twitter going, you guys are not ready <laughs> for volume seven. We're never ready.
1: He's doing what Al did for Cam Camp Camp.
0: <laughs> it's rude
3: and I love it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, playing with our hearts. Um, Well, that's all that I had on on my agenda to talk about. Is there anything else we wanted to discuss before we wrap it up for today?
3: Not that I can think of. I think that's most of it. Although, a moment of appreciation for Yang being Yang and just punching out the floating camera that uh, (laughs) dares to take a photo of her.
2: Um, yes. And also that moment of,
1: you painted it? Like, I just... (laughs) i love it
3: i love
2: all these little moments they're so good
1: uh i'm gonna i'm gonna throw out uh, a crazy prediction yes. do it because that's me um <laughs> i had mentioned earlier i mentioned earlier that we were gonna possibly see some sort of allegory for the merry men what if the ace ops are the merry men and robin uh is a former ace ops that is running to get on to the council because they were either forced forced off or disgraced or whatever. Um, and so with that, there there's a little bit of an inside thing happening where the merry men are on the inside and the Aesops are on the inside, uh, helping people uh, justly, which is why we're getting such a lawful, good vibe from them. And one addition, and the the thing that sparked this for me, was I, I still have all of my Aesop, uh, Aesop fables in front of me. There is, a, there is a story called The Dove and the Crow. <gasps> hey,
0: Do tell.
1: Um, and it's short, so I'll keep it short. A dove shut up in a cage was boasting of the large number of the young ones which she had hatched a crow hearing her said my good friend cease from cease from this unreasonable boasting the larger number of your family the greater your cause of sorrow in seeing them shut up in this prison house now do i think there will be a direct adaptation of that scene no but it made me think of robin possibly being in prison and crow setting her free at at the most base level and and maybe maybe it's a thing of boasting about how many followers she has or or whatever. We don't we know absolutely nothing about Robin, but in the fact that uh, she is a Robin Hood allegory, the idea of her uh, being behind bars doesn't seem out of the question.
2: I love that you came up with this theory within the past half hour or so no it was
1: five it was literally the last five minutes as <laughs> as what like i was like megan please say does anybody else want something to talk about please say does anybody to talk about? because I'm, I'm a rambling mess welcome back
2: the one thing i question is the public throwing their support behind someone who was once part of the upper echelon because they seem to not i don't know that's that's the one thing i question about that theory everything else yeah let's go
1: so that's what I mean in terms of a dishonorable discharge or something. She did something to directly benefit Mantle, and so as a result, she's using that sort of uh, public outcry and windfall to uh, get support to run for the council or whatever position she's running for. So I think that her fall from being a member of the Aesops was something that directly benefited the people of Mantle, or or something that. Uh, made the the, peop- the the folks in Mantle, or at least the, uh, the uh, hardest affected and the downtrodden uh, sit up a little bit more like, oh, maybe there is somebody that is fighting for us.
3: That's a thought.
0: I really like this theory, Mark, and I want to point out that as you were reading that fable, I got goosebumps, not because I necessarily think of Robin as the dove in this scenario, but you know who the dove kind of sounded like? In terms of like I, I like I'm this beautiful creature that's kept in a cage, it kind of um, sounds like the Schnee family situation. My
1: wise,
0: so I got goosebumps as you were talking about that and uh, talking about uh, you know just other things we want to point out about this episode. Uh, Weiss punting uh, a racist into the air um, and then th- <laughs> yeah, literally dude. throwing him into the trash. Choice, chef kiss for that and moment. And
2: Weiss being the person to do it. We've come so far from the spoiled and those filthy faunus heiress from season one. I love it.
0: Baby girl growing up. Aw. <laughs> our baby girl.
2: The other thing I want to bring up, and Mark and Stacey, I want your opinion on this because Megan and I very much differed when we were uh, recording our reaction video. How much does Ironwood know about the Ozpin backstory? Because Megan posits that Oz told him a lot, if not everything, correct?
0: I figured he was more in the know than a lot of other people.
2: And I posited that nobody knew anything that Jin told them until Jin told them. Like, I don't think anyone else had that information. I think when Leo got it, he got it from Salem. So that's that's where we are on opposite
3: sides of this. And I want to know
2: what you guys think about that.
3: I think, so, you know what, before things that we've learned about Ironwood recently, I would have said he would be one of the people who were the deepest in the know, but judging from his extremely paranoid reaction and kind of closing in on himself instead of like working towards a plan of action, maybe he really is in the dark and really doesn't know what's going on around him, so his reaction is so paranoid and so closed off like that.
1: I think it's a little bit closer to Megan. I don't think they know nothing, but I definitely agree with the idea, just with how Crow reacted to the djinn story. I think it was more of a reaction of how close he was to Salem and not necessarily, and, and the fact that he can't die and Salem can't die, et cetera, et cetera. And less of a, I didn't know about all of this. I You want to know where I think... Uh, Uh, Ironwood's paranoia comes from and strike this one up to uh, another another crazy theory but at the same time cheerful jester we kind of talked about this (laughs) after the premiere yesterday Pietro has the staff what? not Ironwood not the military Pietro has the staff okay elaborate so Jacques wouldn't have it uh, <laughs> and and the fa- fuck if he did um and excuse my language there but um, Woo! Woo! ironwood ironwood is paranoid because he know he he knows that the cycle is starting he knows that or maybe he had it and doesn't know where it is anymore and um the fact that uh i think pietro has it in mantle And that's one of the reasons why he comes back to mantle is to make sure it's still there to to tighten up security, blah, blah, blah. But also he does such good from a pure creation standpoint that if he doesn't have it in secret or not in secret, he at least has a lot of access to it because Penny is such a unique looking looking at the the Elysian Knights and looking at penny there's there's heart there and that's something that can only be imparted by the creator and maybe f- flip i'm going to go even further what if penny is the staff ooh like i've lost so much sleep and i'm going to use it in podcast form but <laughs> I, I think i think that there's so much there's so much to the idea of creation and the fact that Penny just, that I hope that we get a flashback of what, uh, of what, you know, they, they just sort of told us that they found her core once Amity arena made it back to Atlas, but that's, that's a very long trip. And that thing was going down. How did all of those parts, there's a lot, there's a lot of, unaccounted for information and i think the just oh yeah no we got it (laughs) it's 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 too it's too easy (laughs) it's too easy mark needs more conspiracy i do man sleep Ah, (laughs) what's that
2: talking about the relic though, like looking at all we had to go through in season five to get our hands on a relic. We needed the Spring Maiden to get in the vault. So then the question here becomes, (laughs) who is the Winter Maiden? We have no idea.
1: I just had an Evangelion moment of just, get in the vault!
2: (laughs) (laughs) Get in the vault, Raven! Uh, (laughs) But yeah, then the question becomes, is it a similar mechanism here Are we going to need to find the winter maiden? Does Ironwood know who she is? Did Ironwood pull a Leo and lose the maiden that he was supposed to keep track of? What what even is the situation here? We have so few pieces of this puzzle right now. I can see us spending two or three seasons here just trying to get them together.
0: uh, I was going to bring up that we hadn't had a maiden... Um, we, we hadn't really had any maiden sightings, uh, apart from Cinder running around in the previous volume, um, and yeah, after the reveal of the spring maiden, summer and winter are still unaccounted for, you know, we could fall back on the, the theory of winter being the winter maiden, uh, and that's why she is staying so close to Ironwood, you know, it's more like him keeping tabs on her, but it's also possible that somebody like Robin is the winter maiden, Beat me to it. Yeah. <laughs> Where it's like this person was given power and maybe that's why she decided to tie into Mark's theory. That's why she left. She's like, no, I, I've been given these amazing abilities. I could be doing so much more uh, as opposed to just being in the pocket of the military. I'm going to leave and fight for the people.
2: See I'm just I couldn't help but laugh at summer and winter are accounted aren't accounted for it. well no winter's in the pocket of the military and summer's in a grave so <laughs>
0: how dare you yikes. <laughs> i have no
2: regrets how dare you
0: it's very upsetting <laughs> um okay i think if we if we are to continue um we are just going to keep going down our uh theorizing conspiracy rabbit holes um and so it's probably best that we wrap it up for uh, for the afternoon uh mark where can people go if they want to keep up with
1: you well, I also do another podcast with my wife. We do Party of Two. It's a theme parks podcast. Uh, we took Halloween off because it we had <laughs> life's been crazy, y'all. But we did do some fun, spooky episodes. Uh, we ran one where um, we were throwing a Halloween party and we were trying to invite our favorite Halloween animatronics to sort of have the best Halloween party. And we sort of ran through the what ifs of what the party was going to be. And it was a lot of fun, so I highly recommend people go and listen to that. Um, and uh, so, so that's at Party of Two Pod on Twitter, on Anchor, on all of that. But you can follow me, uh, tweeting about theme park stuff, wrestling stuff, and now back to Rooster Teeth stuff pretty heavily uh, at Mark B Donica on Twitter and Instagram.
3: Stacy, well, I'm Stacy If You find me at uh, on Twitter over at Stacy Shuttles. Uh, I've recently started a new job, so I have been pretty consumed with that, so that is more or less what I've been up to, but I'm real happy to be back on the Ruby podcast, so <laughs> you'll find me here every week.
0: Uh, we're happy to have you. <laughs> Katie?
2: I'm Katie Cullen. You can follow me all over the social medias, as well as on YouTube and Twitch at Kiaxet. That is K-I-A-X-E-T. If you like reaction videos to these episodes, they live on that YouTube. And if you would like to see me play mobile games well and Overwatch very poorly, uh, that's what's on that
0: Twitch channel. And I'm Megan Salinas. You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Manguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. Uh, you can follow the whole team here at the Rooster Team. Um, on all of the social medias and guys uh, something really fun if you haven't already if you haven't been like keeping up with us a new episode of welcome to Vale dropped a few days ago um, and uh, I'm exceedingly pleased with how it turned out so huge huge props to Mr. Mark B. Donica for putting that all together
1: Woo! oh you're talking about Bill <laughs> yeah, that's yes, relate bill. He he's uh he's quite a quite a human being. So I did. So thank you for that. I did uh get a, a cassette tape with the broadcast. So I had to figure out a way to convert that to digital. So that's what took the episode so long. It was it just sort of showed up on a in a puff of smoke in my uh, my t shirt drawer in my dresser. I I have no idea how it got there, but um, I'm very happy to hear from from our favorite little Berg.
0: <laughs> as am i i'm always uh very pleased to hear about the antics of all all those fun characters so uh wh- thank you so much bill for for giving us an update on the veil vale situation um so yeah and if you're interested in all of our other shows you know be sure to subscribe uh and keep an eye on all of our social medias. Um, and, you know, you'll hear us talk about all, all sorts of other Rooster Teeth shows. We know we're behind with Camp Camp. We're, we're still figuring out a situation uh, to get up to date on all that. But, guys, stick with us. Um, and thank you so much to everybody who's been patient as we as we upload stuff. You guys are the best. Thank you all so, so much for listening. We'll see you all next time.